This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, it's good to be here, isn't it? I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited. Y'all ever known two people to tell the same story and it seems like two different stories? Y'all ever seen that happen before? Had good friends in South Carolina before we moved up here. Names were Matt and Ashley. And uh, I met them. I met them before they got together. And then when they got together and decided they were going to get married, they asked me to do their wedding. And it was awesome. It was the first time I've ever done a wedding that I was late to it. Um, that's bad if the preacher is late to the wedding. I just want you to know that. Don't be intimidated. I learned my lesson. I'll never do that again. Always ask, what time is the wedding? That's a good, that's a good question to ask. Um, but I did it. It was awesome. They loved me, and so it was, uh, it was fun anyway. Um, and then... Like a lot of families, it wasn't too long until they had a baby. And it was one of those scenarios where Ashley was in, in labor forever. You ever know women that it's like a week later and they're still in labor? And you're like, I mean, is that thing ever going to come out? I mean, and it was funny because Matthew is like the most social guy ever. I mean, he just loves people, loves hanging out with people. And so their, their hospital room was kind of like just a, a fun place to be for two or three days. And I loved it. A few weeks later, after the little baby boy Connor was born, I was hanging out with them. And they were sharing the story of what had happened, right? Talking about those few days. And Matt said, man, it was awesome. Those are, the, those are some of the best days I've had in a long time because all my friends showed up. I got to see my friends. I ain't seen them forever. We got to hang out. And Ashley was like, whoa, wait up, wait up. Those were not fun days. <laughs> those were not, that was not fun. This sermon series may be the most important thing that I could ever tell you because the truth that's embedded in it is something that has radically altered my life. And the truth is, is that there's two stories that we always have to choose from. And it's our story and, and his story. And it's tough to, to think about this, but our stories matter. Our stories matter. But let me just tell you something before we get there. Life is a lot like a, it's a, lot like a story. You ever notice that? I talked about Connor. There's the other end to life is what we sometimes have to deal with. And sometimes in the past when I've, been to a funeral. It's almost like you go there and, man, this is such a great story. I'm sad that it had to come to an end. You ever been to those? You know what I'm talking about? Life is a lot like a story. I mean, as a matter of fact, let's actually take a few moments and examine some of the characteristics of what's in a good story. This stuff is in your notes. I just kicked my water bottle over. Y'all hold up. So I don't step on it and squirt some water everywhere. Um, let's examine what would be some good, a good story, the characteristics of a good story. Let's 
kind of think about that together. The first thing that I would say is that a good story always has some characters. You ever notice that? I mean, what is Braveheart without William Wallace? It's nothing, right? So a good story always has great characters. Here's something that's in your notes if you would like to put it down, that they always have interesting characters. And some of y'all, y'all get a little upset about your life because you got some characters in your life. You know what I'm talking about? You got some people in your life and they just characters. That's all I'm going to say about that, right? Just some characters. But story's not interesting unless it has some characters. The second thing that I notice about a story is that good stories always have conflict. And conflict motivates the movement of the story. Y'all know any good stories that go down like this? Well, he woke up. He ate his breakfast. He went to work. On Friday, he got paid and went home, did some yard work over the weekend, went to church on Sunday. And on Monday, it all started all over again. That's not a story that we're going to read, is it? Stories always center themselves on, on conflict. And when, when we take a moment and step back in life, there's things that rise up from time to time. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's stuff that happens in our life, in your life, and it's conflict. Something, something comes in, and it is resistance that we step right into the middle of. That's just God inviting you into a story. The second thing that I see that good stories have is that they, they have closure, that good stories have good endings. Now, we're going to come back in a moment and examine that in light of the scripture that we're going to look at today. But if I could, for a moment, I want to show you a scripture that comes out of the first chapter in Acts. Jesus has died, resurrected, He's now been with his disciples for a little while, and he's about to leave them and go back to heaven. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus says this. Look on the screen if you can't pull it up in your Bible. Acts 1.8 says this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, some of us, when we start to think about our lives and how God begins to use you. How God can take a person, insert your name, a person like me and use me. This verse is critical of, in our understanding of a way that God can use us in our lives. Because in this moment, Jesus did not say, you will be my evangelist. He didn't say that you will be my preacher, he didn't say any of that. What he said was, you will be my witness. Now, I ain't, I ain't watched Judge Judy in a long time. Y'all ever watch Judge Judy? That junk's crazy. 
I don't ever want to be on Judge Judy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're on Judge Judy, there's like high levels of drama going on in your life. Right? I hadn't watched Judge Judy in a while, but I do know just from watching a little bit what a witness does. Witness does what? They tell their story. That's it. That's all a witness does. A witness isn't charged with even making anything up. What Jesus says in this moment is, listen, when you start living for me, your story is going to be so good that all you have to do is share your story. That's all you have to do. You don't have to make anything up. Just share your story. Be my witness. But at times, we live in this day and age where there's a a consistent tension between what I would call good stories and God stories. Because I'm I'm not going to tell you that working hard to pay off your house and, and going to work every day and being a good worker, that that's bad. I'm not saying that. But in a world where We've sacrificed good for God. Sometimes we got to step back and go, man, there's something that just didn't click it. All the cylinders aren't firing on this thing. Because when I read scripture, when men humbled themselves to Jesus and said, whatever you want, From this moment on, whatever it is, whatever you want to take from me, whatever you want to kill and put to death, whatever it is, take it. I'm yours. Write your story through me. In those moments, man, you see some men go through some terrible, difficult things, but at the end, their stories are amazing. This series, we're going to zero in on on one chapter in the Bible. We're going to spend literally five weeks talking about one chapter. It's Luke 15. And Luke 15 happens as the result of a group of people that didn't like Jesus a whole lot that showed up and said, hey, can you, can you answer a few questions for us? And Jesus is talking to this group of people that are supposed to have it right in the middle of a group of people who have obviously blown it. And he tells three stories. He tells three different stories that when we look back, they all seem pretty similar. The first story that he tells is what we call the parable of the lost sheep. He says there was a, a shepherd. He had a lot of sheep, and one of those sheep wandered away. What did he do? He left all those other sheep and went and found the one that was lost. 
Then he says, there was a woman. She had a coin. And one day she went looking for the coin and she couldn't find the coin. And so what she did is she tore her whole house upside down to find that coin. And when she found that coin, she rejoiced in the fact that she had found it. And then he tells the story that about two years ago, and it just began to completely rock my world because out of the blue, we found out that we were expecting our first girl. And I promise you, it was like six months. Anytime there was a commercial that had anything to do with like daddies and little girls, I cried all the time. If it was a TV show or a movie or something, just one of those like little, like tug at your heart moments, right? I was going, all right, I'm going to cry at this. Y'all don't look. Nobody look, you know. It was embarrassing for a while. But in this story, Jesus tells of a father that has two sons and one of them leaves home. So there's three stories buried in this one chapter and they're all about something that's lost. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, the story that Jesus is telling. Because he says, all right, this sheep, this shepherd has a lot of sheep and one leaves and what does he do? He leaves all those sheep to go find the one little sheep that's gone. That doesn't mean you got a lot of sheep. Let me just stay with them. Make sure you don't lose them. That, that's what makes sense to me, right? But when I was in college, I had a, a family that I was friends with. And they're one of those families that had like a ton of kids. Y'all ever known those families? Like so many kids, you can't even count their kids. Like they don't even know how many kids they have. You ask them and they say, I don't know, like seven, eight, 12, somewhere in there, right? They don't even know. There was, this is one of those families. I think they liked each other a lot. That's all I'm gonna say about that, all right? Um, so, so I was hanging out with them one day and one of their big kids came down and said, said we can't find Johnny. And they started looking around. They couldn't find Johnny. I'm gonna tell you something I saw in that dad. He didn't care about the rest of his kids in that moment. He didn't care. The fact that one of his kids was lost consumed him. And they found him under the bed upstairs sleeping. You believe that? That's so funny. Anyway, all right, let's get back. Let's get back to the text. I want to walk you through uh, the text. Let's go ahead and look at verse out of Luke, out of Luke, uh, Luke 15. Let's go ahead and y'all turn in your Bibles. If you got your Bibles, turn on your phone. We'll put the scripture on the screen as well. All right. Luke 15. We'll start off from verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12. So Jesus continued again. He's told those two stories. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, just to lay some groundwork for this series so that you can understand what's going on. This is one of the biggest insults that a son could have ever leveraged towards his father. Ever. Essentially, what he said was, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me what would happen if you die. Like, you are nothing but monetary value to me. Now, that makes a lot of sense even in the world that we live in, but step back a couple of thousand years into a world where family was everything. 
It's insulting. It's completely, completely insulting. But let's read on because the father responds to him. So not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And I'm just going to keep reading. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who said to him, or sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now again, I want to go back to the audience that Jesus is speaking to. The audience at this moment is a group of, of tax collectors. All right, so in that culture, in that time of day, and these are the, the raunchiest Worst people that you could ever imagine to associate with. These were people that exploited people to get money. And he's got a group of Pharisees. The best word to just understand who they are is preachers. And these were guys who knew the Bible in and out. They were scholars. And for a Jew, one of the worst things that you could ever talk about is being in a position where you had to associate with pigs because they're unclean. And in this audience, he's demonstrating how far this young man has went. He's went from being the son of a wealthy man, blowing his inheritance to now. He's had to take a job as someone's servant slop to a pig. And he's so broke, so poor, that he wants to eat the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And there's a lot of us in here that we might think we're broke, but we're not that broke. And so one day he wakes up. And he knows who his father is. He knows the character of his father. And he says, you know what? I bet that if I can go home, my father will receive me as a servant because his servants live a whole lot better than I'm living right now. So he goes home. He sets out. And let's pick up in verse 21 and see how the father received him. Now understand that there was such, such insult. And in verse 21, we pick up, it says right before that, that from a long way off, he saw him coming. He ran out to him. And then in verse 21, the son said to father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his son, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now let me just take a moment and tell you what's happened here. When the father brings a robe and puts it on a son and 
puts a finger or puts a ring on his finger. There's something that's significant that's happened there. He's saying to his son, I'm not just receiving you back to me as, as just a, a servant. No, you're, I'm receiving you back to me as a son. Like I know, I know what everything that's happened. I'm, I'm familiar with the fact that you've insulted me and, and a third of my estate was sold off. I mean, I had to go through the hassle of selling my, my cattle and my, my goats and just to give you the wealth that you requested. I know that that's gone, but you're my son. And you're always going to be my son. And he receives him back as a son. And he doesn't just stop there. As Jesus tells the story earlier of the shepherd and the lost coin, both times that something was lost and it's found, there's a celebration. And in the same manner, in this story, when what was lost is found, there's a celebration. So he receives his son and says, go get, let's go get the best pig we got. Let's kill it. We're going to have a pig roast today. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A good old pig picking. I'm not, I don't know how it went down, but I know that it was a party. Because later, the older son shows up. Now, the older son has a vested interest in what's going on because when the younger son said to his father, I want my inheritance, he would have got a third. Now, that's not saying let's take the father, the son, and the, uh, the younger son and divide it in thirds. Actually, the oldest in lineage got a double portion in the inheritance. And so if there were two, the inheritance would have been divided into three, and then he would have received two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would have received a third. But now, here's the quandary that the older son is in. When the father receives the younger son as a son, now he's back in line for inheritance. Do you see the problem that's here? And so when the older son comes in from working, he doesn't even go into the party. He's so miffed, he's so angry that he stands outside and the the father goes out to him. And let's look at verse 28 and see how this goes down. In verse 28, the older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving and you never even gave me a goat, a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? And in verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to take that story apart for you. 
There's one thing I want you to see out of this chapter that is extremely important, that great stories as God begins to tell them that these phenomenal stories begin with lostness. That when Jesus begins to tell these stories, he does so in the context of saying there is something that was lost. There's something that was broken. So I want you to look at this thought, and this is the thought that's going to run through this series for us. As we make history when we leave our story and start to live his story. We make history when we choose to leave our story and we start to live his story. That's when we start to make history. I mean, let's take the greatest story that's ever been told. Right? That's the story of Jesus, right? The story of God's son who, who came to earth so that we could be one back to God. That a relationship that we really blew, that it could be made right. Think about it. What does that story start with? It starts with our lostness. And oftentimes, if we're going to transition from our story to his story, we're going to have to address the things in life that are broken. Now, I want to tell you something today that's important, and it's something that I want you to just let it drop in your heart and just soak it up. It's impossible to have a testimony without going through a test first. It's impossible to have a testimony without going through a test first. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. It's impossible to have a testimony without going through a test first. You see, the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. When God saves him and sends him out to start declaring the message of the gospel, he goes from town to town to town, starting churches, causing riots, seeing people one to Jesus. But his goal is to end up in the epicenter of the known world, to end up in Rome. And in the book of Philippians, we find a letter that Paul writes from the city of Rome to the church at Philippi, a church that he loved. You know what the theme of the book of Philippians is? It's joy. I mean, all throughout that book, it's let our attitudes be the same as Christ Jesus, who not counting 
Equality with God is something to be grasped. Humbled himself and came to earth so that he could live and die, even death on a cross. Philippians is an epic book of hope and joy. You know where it's written from? A jail cell. Because the way in God's providence that the Apostle Paul got to Rome was in handcuffs. And he had for years prayed, God, put me in front of somebody that's influential. I want to preach the gospel to people in Rome that can make a difference, that can spread your word. And he found himself chained to a Roman imperial guard 24-7 on shifts of every six hours. And you know what he did? He found his audience. Because in the middle of a trial, all it takes is a change of perspective for us to know that there's an opportunity for God to make history in that moment. In church, that means leaving our stories behind. That means embracing a story that is completely consumed with Jesus. That's what it's all about when we live his story. You see, when we live his story, we let God supply the characters. Right, And sometimes God sends some crazy characters to be in our life. Sometimes they're difficult. But when it's his story, he gives us the grace and the love to care for them. You see, when he's writing our story, don't think that it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, through men like the Apostle Paul, for ages we've seen that when we say, God, come in, change it all. I want to live for you that somehow in the middle of that, there's going to be conflict. But that conflict will produce something in you that you could never, ever achieve without it. You see, most of the time we get confused about the what at the end of conflict. And some of us, we're fighting in our marriages, and we just want to communicate a little better. We want to get some attention or affection, whatever it is. We've got friends that just don't maybe treat us the way that we think we should. When conflict comes in the middle of his story, the goal at the end of it is that we get more of him. So nine months, Amanda and I, nine months ago, Amanda and I made a, a big decision. Actually, it was about a year ago right now. Made, made a decision to step out of a comfortable life in suburban Columbia, South Carolina, and to return home to plant a church in Albemarle. And the first time we thought about it, it was awesome because I could see this, right? I could see you guys sitting here. But then I had to quit my job. Which meant that 60% of our income went off the table. And then our house wouldn't sell. And stayed empty for seven months.
Anything that's worth doing, it's rarely going to be easy. But I can promise you that when you embrace his story, he will make history through you. I can promise you that. Past Friday night, we went over to hang out with some people. I'm, I'm probably going to lose it when I tell this story because it was just one of those moments. Um, we're outside shooting some pool. And a, a friend of ours who, who comes to church here and helps out around came over and grabbed me by the arm and said, man, when you get done with this game of pool, I want to talk to you. And I thought, oh, man, I'm cheating on the pool game or something. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in trouble. And he pulled me over. He goes, Kevin, I've never been in church where I felt comfortable before. I want to get saved. What? <laughs> what? Right now, right now where everybody around us is, is having fun. And so we went over and sat at their dining room table and prayed together. He met Jesus. I can't make that happen, but I can tell you that when you step into his story, he will make history through you. It's not me. That's something. I can't even make something like that up. I'm telling you. I'm sitting there crying. Everybody's looking at me like I'm a little girl, you know, like, all right. But it's profound because when we step out, the last thing is this. I told you that a, a good story always has closure. Think about this. This story's going to end one day. And there's stuff in your lives right now. Some of you are living in conflict, and you just need to ask the question Is it going to matter in 10 years? Is this whole thing that I'm upset about, I'm worried about, is it even going to matter in 10 years? Because sometimes we get caught up in stories that might be good stories, but they're not God's story in us. We're not living his story. And we can get so caught up in trying to work towards an outcome that we forget that God can make history when we embrace his story in our lives. Let me tell you something. The end of the story is already written. And he wins. It's already done. The question is, for us today, the question is really simple. It's whose story are you going to live? Are you willing to embrace a story that God would write through you? Now, I can't tell you what that is. But I can tell you that for every person in this room, God has a purpose and a destiny, and that he wants to use you to make history in your world. And there's nothing more significant that we could ever do than choose to look at God and say, God, you do it. Let's pray. So, Lord, today I just want to ask that through your might and power, through the, the goodness of your Holy Spirit, that in this room today that you would call us out a little bit. Those of us that have gotten lost in what could be good stories, but they're not your story. Again, remind us of 
what it would mean for us to embrace your story. For those of us that have never, ever, ever made a decision today to choose you, none of us, God, we've, we've all been in that moment when we had to choose you. But for those of us that have never done that, we've never initially said, God, I've been doing my own thing, writing my own story. I just want you to do it. I pray that right now would be a moment where we could surrender And so I just want to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody's paying attention. This is a moment just between you and Jesus. I just want to ask you today this really serious question. If you're somebody in the room that would say, I have been caught up in living my own story, but I'm ready to live God's story. I've been writing my own story, but I'm ready to live his story. If that's you, could you raise your hand today? If that's you, would you raise your hand? If you would say, I've been caught up in living my own story. And maybe today there's some of you. Maybe there's some of you today that would say, you know what? I really, I need to make some adjustments Because when we start talking about this and I look at the life that I'm living right now, the story that I'm writing isn't exactly his story. And I know that I'm going to have to make some adjustments and I'm willing to do that so that I can live his story. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? If you know I got to make some adjustments because I want to live his story. I see that. I'm going to take one more moment and pray for you. God, for those of us today who maybe for the first time have decided that we want to Live out your story. Just come and be with us. Give us strength when we feel weak. Encourage us when we feel discouraged. Because, God, we want you to make history through us. But we know that history only happens in our lives when we stop living our stories and start living yours. Amen. Amen. Well, how about a hand clap for those people who just made a commitment? That's awesome.